This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and answers all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you on this Saturday morning, January 14th, 2023. And we're on, and the pandemic continues, right? And um, it continues to take effect on all of our lives. Now, uh, the good news is that our Connecticut positivity rate has gone down. It was 18% last week. It's dropped down to 13% this week. Great move even though we're in the highly contagious level. But the most important thing we have is the fact that although it is more transmissible, it's much less damaging overall. And its disruption is primarily from our day-to-day lives getting to work and having a full staff at work and getting to social events that we might want to go to. So... We're seeing changes, but the biggest difference is the fact that this in particular is really susceptible to the vaccine. The vaccine is working well, and it really encourages us to move forward in developing better vaccines, uh, easier to administer vaccines for more people. So I think that we're, we're making progress. Um, There have been a lot of things out there in terms of long COVID, and one of them came up this week. Now, I have not seen the actual study here, so I don't want everybody saying, oh, my gosh, this is absolutely true. But it was a study done in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease by Case Western Reserve scientists, and it really speaks to the advantage of vaccination. And basically, their point is that COVID infection can be linked to an increased risk of Alzheimer's disease in people over 65. And uh, they go into statistics that it's 69% higher. And if you're 85, over 85, 89% higher. But the key thing here was the feeling was that if you were vaccinated and you're in that age group, you have 30% less chance of developing Alzheimer's disease as a result of a COVID infection. So again, it's more information for us to work with as we move forward in this battle. And we're still back to the idea of masks. We have great masks now, plenty are available. Use them when you think, don't think, oh, people are going to say something. Nobody says anything. No one has ever approached me and says, well, you know, why are you wearing a mask? No one has ever said that. Last week I worked at a an MMA event at Mohegan Sun, and I could say that uh, myself and my daughter, I think we were the only two people in the whole arena of 8,000 people wearing masks. Nobody said anything. But we certainly felt safer. 
And I think that we have to take that into consideration. This day in medicine, January 14th, 1875, Dr. Albert Schweitzer was born. Now, Albert Schweitzer was an interesting guy. I I didn't know much about him. And that's why I love doing these, because it gets me to delve into it a little bit. Um, He was a musician, an artist, an author. But in 1905, he's living in Germany, and he announces that his intention is to become a missionary doctor. Now, he was fairly wealthy. His family was wealthy. So he goes to medical school, graduates in 1913. At the same time, his wife. So you got to imagine, he announces this when he's about 30 years old, right? So eight years later, he's 38. He graduates medical school. At the same time, his wife was going to nursing school, and they both pack up and move to Africa. And uh, they, they're they there, but then World War One breaks out. He was taken captive because he was German, uh, and he later returns in 1924 to reestablish the hospital he began, and this time adds a leper colony. And what's interesting is that he stayed there his whole life. He, he published, he did a lot of things while in Africa, but most importantly... He rendered care. Now, there, there have been criticisms because his care is somewhat primitive. But we find that all the time in global medicine. When you're in an isolated area, you don't have CT scans. You don't have the sophisticated testing. You have to do what you can in terms of your diagnostic skills and your treatment skills. In 1952, he was given the Nobel Peace Prize. And... His hospital exists today. In 1963, they had about 500 patients. Um, He died in 1965 at the age of 90. But what was also interesting about him is today, that same hospital exists in Africa, the Albert Schweitzer Hospital, is 270 employees. It still has a leper colony. Um, And the leper institute there that houses 15 patients on an ongoing basis. And uh, I think what we could take away from this is what it said as you enter his hospital. And this is what he put out there back in 1913. Here, at whatever hour you come, you will find light and help and human kindness. And isn't that what it's really all about? Isn't that the heart of medicine? And he has continued to be Uh, really a model for many uh, young physicians who want to do uh, service such as that globally. So we remember today as the birthday of um, Dr. Albert Schweitzer, uh, an outstanding uh, physician and uh, humanitarian. We're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with uh, my guest, um, Ms. Lynn Borowitz. She's going to be here in the second half of today's program. Uh, and she's a physical therapist at Select Physical Therapy. And we're going to talk about physical therapy. I mean, most, if not all of us, have in some way had to have physical therapy for some ailment. And I really want to get at the heart of what makes it so effective in healing injuries or recovering after surgery. So I spent some time talking to her this week, actually, and we taped the interview um, so that it was more convenient for her. 
I did also want to touch on some things we discussed last week. Um, if you'll remember, Dr. Charles Cavill was on from Pounds Transformation, and we talked a little bit about over-the-counter supplements. I've gotten some emails about this to repeat it again. So the data so far show us that the over-the-counter supplements that people take to lower their lipids are not particularly helpful. Things like cinnamon, fish oil, garlic, plant steroids, uh, red yeast, rice, turmeric uh, are not that helpful overall. And it also tells us that uh, when we look at these things, we have to look with them somewhat askance. And there are good medications and uh, things like Lipitor. You could take at a low dose that's extremely effective in lowering, lowering someone's lipids. And I also uh, wanted to, and people have reached out to me to repeat the phone number to be in touch with Dr. Cavo at uh, poundstransformation.com and the phone number there 860-906-1289. We're going to take a short break then we're going to be back to talk about a few more topics that have been appearing uh, in the literature these days and things that we face and uh, then we're going to get to the second half of our program where we're going to chat with Ms. Lynn Borowick. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. And I think to myself, we're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And we're in the month of January. And January's kind of that type of month where everybody starts to look at their general health. We talked about it last week on the program. But uh, we talk about our physical health, and right away people think it means weight loss. Um, one of the other things we think about is cutting back on the amount of alcohol we intake, right? We we have dry January. So for some people, they try to abstain from alcohol uh, in the month of January. But one of the things we come up against at, at this time of year is seasonal affective disorder. And seasonal affective disorder is a, a form of depression that affects approximately 10 million Americans. And it really has to do with the change in our season where we have shorter periods of daylight. And it's especially seen in cold places uh, where we have lower temperatures. So there's less opportunity to get outside. There's less opportunity to socialize with others. And I know for those of us who are working and in the workforce, many days, you know, we leave the house and it's dark and you come home and it's dark. It's, uh, it can obviously cause sadness, but in some cases it causes outright depression. It affects women more than it does men. And it really starts in young adulthood. And you see it often in children. Uh, so it's something to be very mindful of if you see your children developing symptoms. Now, really, there's a difference between depression and sadness, um, you know, when you have depression, it really brings with it some element of impairment. So your ability to focus is less. You're struggling to really do everyday chores and activities. You'll sometimes find you're increasing the amount of sleep you have or decreasing it. And your appetite changes uh, in terms of often you lose your appetite. So 
this really is a, a problem we come up against. And you see it more in places where they don't have any daylight. Right? So when we think of Scandinavia, where they'll go days and, and months without clear daylight. So it's something that has to be dealt with in the human body. Our cells are attuned to having periods of daylight. It can also worsen other disorders. So if you have an underlying depression or psychological problem, often it will become exacerbated uh, with seasonal change such as this and being in darkness for an extended period of time. So some of the approaches are, especially in children, is to try and increase their ability to interact with other children. Uh, I granted they, they do a lot of that in school, but even when they're out of school setting up play dates or activities where they're going to be around others and be very active. For adults, they've found that the use of a light box has been helpful. And they use these. This is pretty standard in Scandinavia that uh, people use these. And uh, you can see them. There are certain ones that are approved for this. So basically, getting some element of sunlight at certain frequencies for 30 to 60 minutes a day does have a benefit. So it's an easy way to go. But again, I would check with your doctor and really uh, investigate uh, whether it's the right thing and which box to get and which are approved for this purpose. And if things are especially bad and you're coming up against other problems, uh, in the midst of the seasonal affective disorder, uh, you lose your job, things have changed at work, you lose a family member or a close friend, it, it may be time for a short course of antidepressant medications. So I ask you to keep that in mind as we get through winter uh, here in the Northeast, especially. Um, the other thing is the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, came out uh, this week with guidelines for obesity in children. 20% uh, of children and teens are obese in this country, 42% of adults. And we've always taken this approach that let's wait and see if they grow out of it. Well, the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying that's not enough. And from our discussions on this program, we've talked about insulin resistance. This is a physiologic problem where some people tend to put on fat more than others because of a medical condition. So obesity really has become a medical condition to some degree. And this is not an excuse or anything such as that, but it's something that has to be approached. So what they're saying, the American Academy of Pediatrics is now saying that we should consider the use of these new drugs like Wygovi and uh, Ozempic in children, uh, or at least teenagers above the age of 12. And in some cases, even weight loss surgery uh, should be a consideration um, in order to avoid really lifelong problems with uh, obesity. I don't have to remind everybody here, I mean, those problems being heart disease, um, stroke, and, and things that we see, I see a lot of patients with uh, neuropathy from diabetes, um, people who present with a lot of back pain and other 
skeletal conditions that we're going to talk about with Ms. Borowick in the second half of today's program. So a lot of times people have these aches and pains, joints wearing out. We hear about people undergoing joint replacement surgery. Often that's a lot due to obesity and the load on their knees and hips. So uh, I agree with the American Academy of Pediatrics that this is a problem we need to pay more uh, close attention to. And we need to pay close attention to it in our own homes in terms of providing adequate nutrition, not just fast food all the time, and really setting a good example for children. Often when you see an obese child, um, they'll be accompanied by an obese adult. And uh, we really need to work on that as families. Okay, we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to be back with my guest today, Ms. Lynn Borowick from Select Physical Therapy. And uh, we're going to be talking about physical therapy and its benefits and how it works. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. It's great to hear from uh, Dean Martin this morning. Um, Interesting that he's talking about flying, and we've all seen the travel flying nightmares um, this past week. Um, and, uh, by the way, uh, just by the fact that I am on the air with you today, um, I did not win the mega millions. Um, so, but someone out there is, uh, very rich and hopefully they will be doing something good with all the money. Uh, today we're going to chat with, I taped this interview with Ms. Uh, Borowick, uh, because I find her work very interesting. She is a physical therapist and, uh, She works for Select Physical Therapy. Now, Select Physical Therapy, you may have heard of them. Uh, It's really a huge network of uh, physical therapy. There's about 1,900 centers out throughout the country. Uh, I uh, met with her at their West Hartford address uh, in the Bouvier Insurance Building on uh, North Main Street. And uh, the reason I was really interested is because her job is to get people back to a high level of performance. So... Select Physical Therapy contracts with the University of Connecticut, and she works specifically with athletes who are injured to try and get them back to that high level of performance, whether it be from a non-surgical injury or a surgical injury um, where they've had to have a knee surgery or shoulder surgery and have to get back. So it's fairly intensive, and I want to spend time with her to really talk about how physical therapy works. I mean, it's something that's been part of our lives. Uh, Most, if not everyone listening to this program has been involved in physical therapy. Some with a great experience, some with a not so great experience. And I can say it really depends on the therapist and their approach. As she'll talk about in uh, the interview, there are a lot of different approaches in physical therapy. So um, with that, uh, Kevin's going to roll the interview, and then I'll come back and talk, chat with all of you live a little bit more. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And in this part of our program, uh, I wanted to have a conversation regarding physical therapy. Now, there's something that I would have to say most, if not everybody listening to this program right now, has had physical therapy to some extent for some ailment. So the question really becomes, what is physical therapy? And and give us some insight into why does it work? And 
in terms of, you know, uh, uh, many of us have been faced with the idea, well, do I need surgery or can I get by with physical therapy? Why would physical therapy help instead of surgery? And why does it help so much after surgery? So uh, with that, I went to try and find the answer. So naturally, I went to an expert. And my guest today is Lynn Borowick. She is a physical therapist at Select Physical Therapy. And she works uh, not only with the public, but with many athletes at the University of Connecticut. And that's where I became familiar with her work. So you could imagine the challenge she faced, right? It's not only getting somebody back to work, but getting them back to a high level of performance. And that's key. And that is really a, a goal that's much harder to reach. So with that, Lynn, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Doc. So let's talk a little bit. Tell us about his, just a little bit of the history behind physical therapy. Sure. Well, like I said, I had to do a little research on this first. Uh, it dates back to the, the early 1900s. Um, so with some of the, the polio cases and, and the soldiers coming back from the war. Um, and, and so that's kind of where, where physical therapy got started. So, okay. So it gets started back then. And I know that a big change occurred when we had the specialty in medicine of physiatry, right? Physical medicine and rehabilitation. So after World War II, there are physicians helping soldiers. You mentioned wartime injuries. So we had physicians doing what's become known as physical medicine. But when we talk about physical therapy, how would you define physical therapy? Uh, so it, it's provided by a, a licensed healthcare professional. I, I would say we're more movement experts. Um, so we work to get people back to their, their prior level of function, improve their quality of life, um, help them achieve their goals. So what about subspecialties in physical therapy now? I mean, there, you know, we hear about um, there's occupational therapy, there's speech therapy, those things pretty well defined in what they do. Uh, my understanding was that that was all part of physical therapy at some point, was it? Or was it always separate? No, so when you go to school to be a physical therapist, they, they teach you a generalist approach. So a little bit a lot about a lot of different things. So if you have particular areas of interest, um, you know, that's more specialties that you can go into, um, get certifications in, get more experience in. Uh, I think you'd be surprised at, at how many subspecialties there are and, and things that physical therapists do. Um, there's pediatric physical therapists, geriatric physical therapists, uh, cardiovascular and pulmonary specialists, uh, women's health specialists, um, oncology, um, pelvic floor specialists, uh, sports physical therapists, um, physical therapists that work with lymphedema. Uh, so a lot of different realms. Let's talk about education. So what's the education behind a physical therapist? And I know that's changed, right? Because right. it used to be uh, a bachelor's degree, master's degree, PhD. Where, where are we at with this? How has that evolved? Yeah, so I'm an alum of the University of Connecticut. So when I was in school, it was a master's degree. Um, as of 2016, uh, the program was, was required to change to a doctorate of physical therapy. Uh, so not a PhD or an MD, just a, a doctorate of, of PT. 
Um, so that added about a year of schooling. Um, they've added some extra coursework, diagnostic testing, interpretations. Um, it, it, having that doctorate of physical therapy doesn't necessarily change what we can do. So we're not ordering tests, we're not giving injections, we're not prescribing medications. Um, so let's, let's start thinking about that. So there are a lot of techniques, but one of the discussions we've had on the program is the idea of inflammation, right? Tumor, rubor, calor, dolor, right? But how does physical therapy help from that standpoint? We all know people take anti-inflammatory medications, but again, the science behind that is if you're taking these anti-inflammatory medications, uh, you could turn an acute injury into a chronic injury. So where does physical therapy come in? Yeah, so, so that's where we, we really get people moving. Uh, and sometimes our job is to slow people down and, and sometimes our, our job is, is to progress people more quickly and get them moving. Um, we may use modalities, whether it, it be in the form of cryotherapy, uh, electrical modalities, heating modalities, um, but really just getting people moving. Now I got a question for you. And this is, all right, if you had to look at the whole population of your patients, how many do you have to encourage to get moving? And how many do you have to encourage to slow down percentage-wise? Uh, so it's, it's different for me because I, I work in such a, a unique population. Um, so, you know, in the, in the athletic setting, I, I would say more often than not, we're, we're slowing people down. Yeah. Um, and, and in, in the community, community setting, what about that? Yeah, I, I think we're, we're getting people moving, getting them to trust their, their parts and, and, and to work through some pain. Not all pain is, is bad pain. Um, and well, let, let me get to that point now. And that, that's a good thing you brought up because I think people have the understanding that physical therapy is something I do when I get to the office. And I know from personal experience, you give a lot of homework, right? Yep. For lack of a better term, that you have to kind of do every day um, to some degree. So where does the miscommunication come in? Because, <laughs> right? So, I mean, because it's important that you kind of do it. Um, and do you find a lot of people just think, well, physical therapy, I'm going to go there three times a week or whatever? Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely one of the, the frustrating parts of our job. You know, we, we see people maybe a few hours a week, but there's a, a lot of other hours during that week that, that's unaccounted for. So we really rely on, on people to be independent in, in what we're recommending. Uh, and, and part of our job is, is enforcing a behavioral change, really. Um, we're, we're pretty limited by insurance these days. Um, so it's, it's almost like we're forced to get people better faster, but, but the biological healing process hasn't changed at all. Um, so patient compliance and getting them to buy in is very important. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to get back to that point on the insurance deal. But let's talk about some of the techniques. You mentioned some of the techniques and, and we keep hearing these things with, you know, athletes love like cupping, needling, but Primarily what you do, from my experience and the patients we've shared, um, is more manual therapy. How would you describe that? Because I, in my experience with patients, I found that to be the most helpful. 
Yeah, so I, I think that's one of the most important things we do as, as physical therapists. It's it kind of what sets us apart from, from other disciplines too. Um, so maybe you go to the gym and you work with a personal trainer. Um, but if you go to a physical therapist and they, they don't put their hands on you, I'd, I'd be a little bit wary. Um, you know, I think that's one of the, our best skills. Um, you know, we do other techniques to reinforce that. So the cupping, Graston, uh, instrument-assisted, soft tissue mobilization. Um, those are just other tools in our toolbox, but I, I think our hands are, are one of our most valuable possessions. What are the most common injuries you see? What, what are what, of the people you take care of? Um, and not just the athletes, okay? But in general, people who come into um, the clinical center. What are the common things you see? Uh, so we see a lot of back problems. Um, you know, a lot of jobs nowadays are, are sedentary. People are working on their computer. Um, you know, that's certainly changed over the past couple of years with the pandemic and, and people working from home, um, you know, maybe not having the best workstation set up. Um, people's posture has changed. People are on their phones all the time, texting. Um, so back pain, neck pain is, is very common to be seen in the clinic. Um, we'll see people... Um, after a car accident, sprains, strains, tendonitis, work-related injuries, uh, as well as athletic injuries. Uh, we see people before surgery, after surgeries. Um, What's the toughest area to work on? If we look at hand, shoulder, knee, and spine, right? Which are the which? What's the toughest when somebody comes in to work with? I think spines are, are always tricky, to be honest with you. It's such a, a large area. Uh, it takes a lot of stress, a lot of strain during the day. Uh, so, in my opinion, spines trickier to treat than extremities. Isn't it ironic that in other countries in the world, right, let's talk about surgery, right? We do a lot of spine surgery in this country compared to other countries. Why is that? Are we, are we built differently? Is physical therapy more accessible in these other countries? You always hear about... Whenever you read a study on surgery versus physical therapy, it's in Sweden on somebody who builds a Volvo, right? The Volvo study, right? These are classic studies now because they've studied their employees. Why is it? Is it that Americans would rather have an operation, you think, that for the quick fix? Or is it that physical therapy is not within their grasp as much as in other places? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it may be that we're, we're underutilized. Uh, maybe patients aren't given the option to try some conservative treatment first. Uh, maybe it, it's just lifestyle differences. Uh, you know, I, I think they work differently in, in different countries. And, you know, I think we're high stress here in the, the United States. And um, so hard to say. Well, okay. I'm glad you, you brought that up because we tend to have more of a sedentary lifestyle yep. here in the United States, right? And you mentioned a key thing before, and that is a behavioral change. Yes. Right? Instituting a behavioral change. So I take it that your job is not just getting someone to move their joint, but to kind of embrace a different lifestyle. And it's not just, I don't want people to think, I'm just talking about weight and, you know, the, it's more of using all your joints. Sure. So thinking about improving people's posture and, and maintaining that, thinking about body mechanics, how you're bending, lifting, shoveling snow, carrying your backpack, um, definitely making those lifestyle changes and, and making a habit out of it. So not just when they're in pain, uh, but making it a, a regular thing. Where do you think we're going with physical therapy? What do you think the next big thing is we're going to hear about in, in the field of physical therapy? 
Uh, so I've mentioned this to you before. Uh, so there was a famous physical therapist who, who suggested that everyone have an annual physical therapy movement screening, uh, like, like you'd go to your primary care doctor and, and have a physical. Um, you know, I, I think that may go a long way in terms of, of preventing uh, future injuries um, and, and just adding to the education and, and showing people and, and seeing what we do on a regular basis. That's a great thought, actually, um, because it's not because it sounds like it's really being proactive, okay, right. and not just getting treatment, not coming for treatment, just to assess what are you doing right and what are you doing wrong, kind of like primary care, a primary care visit. Exactly, and there's a lot of research that that shows you know if you have a condition once, whether it's a, a sprain, strain, dislocation, you know, you know the risks of it happening again or, or flaring up again in the future are, are very high. Um, same thing with, with low back pain. So, you know, addressing it and getting ahead of it early, uh, all the more better. Lynn, what do you think the biggest obstacle is in your job other than insurance, right? Because we know that uh, it, insurance is pretty strict on this. Co-pays are high. Um, you know, we've not encouraged physical. And again, as we said before, I think it's easier to get an operation paid for than it is for physical therapy. So I understand that obstacle that we're not going to solve in this discussion. Right. What Other than that, what's your biggest obstacle? I think patient compliance and, and getting them to be consistent about doing it. And, and you know, you, you can't get mad. You can't get frustrated if you don't get better, if, if you don't do your part too. Okay. So now take the flip side of that. What's the most rewarding part of your job? Uh, so again, I, I'm a little bit spoiled in the environment that I, I get to work in with, with high-level athletes. So seeing them back on the court, back on the field, back to play—that's uh, definitely the, the most rewarding. Um, you know, running into them maybe years later and, and having them thank me, uh, having them refer a friend or, or family member—that—that's a high compliment. Well, I want to take time to thank you. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for me personally, um, but also for everything you do for the athletes uh, we send over to you. And uh, what's interesting is I have seen this evolve at multiple levels, whether it be with the New York Yankees or professional teams and collegiate teams where suddenly physical therapists are an intricate part of the whole mechanism. And that's something that has evolved really over the course of the last 20 years. Um, so thank you. Thank you for everything you do for our athletes and thank you for everything you do for our community at Select Physical Therapy. And if you want to reach out to Select Physical Therapy, do you have the number? Uh, I can give you the number to our, our West Hartford location, Great. but I, I'm a little bit harder to, to track down. Go ahead. <laughs> 860-561-3960. Well, Thank you very much uh, for people in our locale. And if you use that number and you want to find a select physical therapy closer to you, I'm sure they'll be able to help you out. Lynn, thanks again. Thank you. Trailer for sale or rent. Rooms to live We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. No, Anthony Alessi. No, no, uh, many of you are on the road this holiday weekend as we celebrate uh, Martin Luther King Day. Uh, this Monday. I wanted to touch, uh, get into the mailbag a little bit and, and some of the emails I, I've been getting. Uh, one from Paul uh, discusses uh, what's happened with these emergency uh, use uh, uh, approvals, the EUAs. And this is where the FDI, the, the, the FDA uh, will 
give a drug, or we used it a lot with vaccines, uh, with these emergency use authorizations um, that can be granted before something is fully tested. It's a way to get things on the market. And, and basically, it's defined an EUA, an emergency use authorization, can only be granted when no adequate, approved, available alternatives exist and when the known and potential benefits outweigh the potential risks. So we saw this with the COVID-19 vaccines. Prior to that, in 2009, with the H1N1 pandemic, um, we saw uh, we were able to increase the amount of uh, protective equipment and things that had to be used. So this has been used over the years. But what's happened now is that uh, we're seeing it more and more. And in fact, between March of 2020 and June of 2021, there were more than 600 of these uh, given out. And, you know, it's a double-edged sword because we see a lot of criticism for the Food and Drug Administration for not approving things, such as the drug we discussed last week, um, lecanemab for dementia, again, um, kind of got moved along while we're still trying to get data. So for a lot of things, we're still trying to get data, but there is a significant need for either the medication or the device that's available. So it's interesting how that has evolved. I really enjoyed the article you sent over, Paul, and um, I think it's something we're going to be watching more and more. Uh, another article sent over uh, really uh, talked about the NIH and doing more home test-to-treat programs as part of COVID-19 telehealth program. Telehealth's a topic we're going to devote a whole show to because I really want to get into that and get an expert on. Many thanks to our studio producer. Kevin Kors has been on the board for us today. And as always, Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. If you missed any part of today's program or my interview with Lynn Borowick, you can get it on the Healthy Rounds podcast. Download that at odyssey.com. Next up on WTIC is Law Talk with Attorney John Matulis. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.